0: Hello and welcome to this episode of the Rare Possessions Podcast. I'm your host, Nicoletti, and with me is Jared Riddick from Book of Mormon Central. Hello, hello. So we are starting our, uh, I guess, our second piece that we're going into after our George Q. Cannon run. This is going to be on the Father and the Son, a doctrinal exposition by the First Presidency and Quorum of the Twelve. And this was uh, something that was issued uh, back in 1916 in the improvement era, this will be one of our series in our one-off episodes, right? We're just going to do yep. one uh, different topic or a different document for the next couple of weeks. So uh, we're glad to go over this one because it, it holds a unique space in Latter-day Saint history. Um, first off, I wanted to point out, because this is, this is germane to our discussion, that This was issued by the First Presidency and the Quorum of the Twelve. Mm -hmm. And so here's who was in it. And again, this is relevant. So the First Presidency at that time was Joseph F. Smith, Anthony H. Lund, and Charles W. Penrose. The apostles at that time were Heber J. Grant, who would later become president of the church, Francis Lyman, Rudger Clausen, Reed Smoot, Hiram M. Smith, George Albert Smith, who also later became prophet, George F. Richards- Orson F. Whitney, David O. McKay, who would again become prophet, Anthony W. Ivins, and Joseph Fielding Smith, who would later also become a prophet. And what I found- a Star-studded lineup. was Quite a lineup, but I actually was really surprised. Joseph Fielding Smith was an apostle from 1910 to 1970 when he became president of the church. 60 years. Yeah,
1: and he was a young'un when he was called. I believe he was in his- very early 30s when he was called. That's
0: incredible.
1: I mean, mm-hmm. that's just a long time. Yeah, they called... Well, they called them younger back then. Uh, I think the youngest apostle that I know of, other outside of the original 12, uh, probably be Abraham Woodruff, Wilford Woodruff's son, who I believe was called at age 23. Holy cow. And died, I think, at age 30. Oh, um, wow. Died young. Well, the last, uh, person,
0: the last person I didn't mention, and this is because of our transition to... The the history behind how this came to be was James E. Talmage was one of the people. And he uh, he has a unique position in the composition of this document.
1: Yes. What did you find? Um, so James E. Talmage took a uh, prominent directing role, I believe, in in the writing of this publication. Um, and you'll notice that actually in the publication itself when it cites Jesus the Christ. Yeah. Um, it wasn't just for missionaries back then. It was for the general body of the church. Published by the church. Mm-hmm. This is from an article called James E. Talmadge and the Doctrine of the Godhead, published in The Religious Educator. Back in 2012, correct? Yes. Uh, Brian W. Ricks. Brian, if you're listening, thank you for the article.
0: <laughs> so, in this article, he gave essentially a little piece of history as to some of, actually, it comes from James E. Talmadge's journals mm-hmm. on how the, some of the background on this this piece. Yeah, it said, uh, even
1: with the combined efforts of Elder Talmadge and other members of the governing corms of the church, The First Presidency continued to receive letters asking for clarification regarding the Godhead. That's mentioned at the opening of the Father and the Son. Uh, The First Presidency felt it was necessary to officially address the role of Jesus Christ, specifically with regard to his titles, Father, and Son. James E. Tamage mentioned in his journals meeting with the First Presidency on multiple occasions throughout his life. He did not, however, make it a habit of recording the purpose of those meetings. Several such meetings took place between April and June of 1916. On June 14th, for example, Talmadge recorded, Yesterday and today I have been engaged in the president's office a good portion of the time. His membership in the quorum may explain the meetings, and they could have touched on any number of topics. On June 23rd, 1916, however, Talmadge recorded, I had an interview with the first presidency and presented to them an outline for proposed publication relating to the status of Jesus Christ as both the Father and the Son. Uh, it is likely that at least in at least some of the meetings held before June 23rd, the First Presidency addressed the need for the article, extended the assignment, and provided input as to what it should include. And in July 1916 that year, they published uh, The Father and the Son. Uh, the purpose of the document was, was twofold, according to Ricks. Uh, it clearly, and more importantly, officially, distinguished between the personages of Elohim and Jehovah, and it established the use of those name titles within the church. And second, the document addressed the status of Jesus Christ as both the Father and the Son, as found in the Book of Mormon. And I know, at least as, for me as a missionary, a favorite bashing technique that some <laughs> antis like to use against us was that there was stronger Trinitarian statements in the Book of Mormon than there were in right. the Bible. And some 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 clarification was needed. It was a lot clearer to Mormon and to Abinadi than it was to us. Right. And so, so some prophetic guidance was needed there.
0: Yeah. And right out of the gate, this article, or I don't know what we're calling it, this this declaration, uh, it it obliterates the notions of creation ex nihilo. And it really this was, does. I mean, it, it talks a, in about- In a nice way.
1: It, uh, of course. Of course. <laughs> of course, nice and polite.
0: But it was, uh, you know, Catholicism and other Protestant faiths were really starting this, I don't want to call it a war against our teachings on the Godhead, but- this certainly was an issue that was coming up over and the over The missions again. in Utah were becoming
1: – they had really started in the 1880s and 1890s for Protestant missions, and they were getting stronger and stronger. You know, uh, Elder, Elder Roberts, B.H. Roberts, had had his debate, The Mormon Doctrine of Deity, uh, with a – I believe it was with a Catholic priest. I might have to eat crow on that one. <laughs> but uh, it's a fascinating book, and it's worth looking up. It's free online. I believe it's actually – we also have it in the Book of Women's Central Archive
0: as awesome. a full book. So this does tend to be something that arose out of a response, a need for clarification and, and response, which is interesting because this particular doctrinal exposition is very different in feel from things like the family proclamation it is. or the living Christ that we see today from the first presidency in Quorum of the 12.
1: The 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 declarations we receive today are much shorter. They're concise, yeah. They're concise. Uh, whether that's because of the attention span of the church or <laughs> what have you, but I—I d- I was never even aware of this first presidency statement growing up. I became aware of this as a young missionary uh, when we were having a discussion with Tad, one of our uh, a member we were teaching, who had some sp- specific questions. We got permission to go on the computer and check LDS.org during the week for some answers, and that's when I came across this. And I printed it out, stuck it in my binder. I loved it and reviewed it often. And I think it ought to have greater attention. The church has republished this uh, as recently t- as 2002 in the Enzyme, in the Yeah, yeah, but it's available freely online and on the archive here. But yeah, it's it's a fascinating little piece of church history. Absolutely, and doctrine,
0: as was explained um, in that religious studies article. The the main crux of this is essentially applying the titles that we've given or are given to us in the scriptures to the right members of the Godhead for their specific works. And so this starts off talking as the father, as our literal parent, the father of our spirits. And of course, this is something that is clearly defined as the thing that our heavenly father, our eternal father, who is given the title Elohim, which hebraically speaking, it's not, it's a plural, right? It's mm-hmm. So it's, is clearly something that is meant to be applied to multiple people but in the vernacular of latter day saints this is where we can tie it back to where we refer to god the father as elohim mm-hmm. which is interesting because the rest of it seems to spend a lot of time talking about more of how jesus fits into the title father yeah. so father as a creator is an interesting is an interesting mix and and you
1: think it'd be more common sense for us we we think of uh, Thomas, uh, Benjamin Franklin as like the father of electricity or right. something like that, like somebody who's organized this particular thing or who discovers it or creates it right. is
0: referred to as a father generally. Well, and father is obviously an applicable title as it relates to what they created, mm-hmm. which is where part three and four of the of this exposition really kind of take hold because this is where they talk about the idea of him being Jesus Christ, Jehovah being the father of our our converted souls, our our spiritual life, if you will. I don't know how how, how did you read parts three and four of this, and, and how did this act as clarification for you? Let's start with part
1: four, actually, if we can
0: switch things
1: out, because this is one that always I was curious about as a kid.
0: Yeah, me too.
1: When. Christ was speaking for the Father or an angel is speaking for Christ or the Father. There's that, they talk about the divine investiture of authority. Yeah. And they speak as him. And I think you even see this in, with Nephi in the Book of Mormon, with Nephi, the son of Helaman in the Book of Mormon, to be more specific. Essentially, when God, he gives him, the Heavenly Father gives him the sealing power, it says, when I speak, it shall be as if you had spoken it. Right. And there's that divine investiture. And that's a really valuable
0: well, that's one of the things that I loved about this whole piece was how many scripture references they pulled together. I mean, it shows the Bible, it shows Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants. It's exhaustive. It's it's really quite, yeah, it's quite complete in a lot of ways, which, again, speaks more to Talmadge as the... Uh, as the creator the originator of this I don't know if you've ever listened to the uh, old audiobook
1: of Jesus the Christ I haven't but the narrator used to include the scripture references in the middle of the sentence Oh my gosh so he'd be reading it and forever. all of a sudden it's like see Romans 12 <laughs> and just read <laughs> off and you'd pick off mid sentence anyway aside but uh
0: yeah so yeah divine investiture that. I don't know, I I don't know too many other spots not that this was originated in this document but I don't know too many other times in which that concept was articulated as clearly as it was in this. And I, I do know that people even today in the church have some questions as to as I to mi- I think things. I
1: mixed it up a little bit there myself when I was describing what happened to Nephi's son of Helmets that when Heavenly Father spoke to him, that was probably the Savior. But, but all of it's still divine investiture.
0: Yeah. It's all still coming back to the Father as the origination mm-hmm. of that authority. And, and it's interesting, though, because I almost – I asked myself the question – was there a time when Jesus ever spoke without that? Other than maybe the atonement, the acts of the atonement, where the father withdrew his spirit, I don't know too many I think, times. I think of
1: the, high, the great intercessory prayer in John yeah. 17 when he's speaking to his father. Yeah. And there are certain, when he's speaking to his uh, parents as a young man, you hope there would have been some. <laughs> some of him in there. But in again, there. Well, yeah, we you, see this quite yeah. a bit.
0: We do. We do. There was a quote at the very end. Of the, the last paragraph that I found interesting, um, it, it kind of concludes with this idea relating to spiritual children, being a spiritual parent. That, yes, this uh, was interesting. Yes, he says, so, so far as the stages of eternal progression and attainment have been made known through divine revelation, we are to understand that only resurrected and glorified beings can become parents of spirit offspring. And I found that language to be rather interesting from this declarative statement to say, so far as the stages of eternal progression have been made known. I mean, there's definitely a recognition that these men understood the concept of continuing revelation, that there was more to be revealed. And maybe they knew it and weren't telling it, or it just hadn't been revealed yet. But that's a very curious way to be authoritative, but also open. Open. Yeah,
1: I like that a lot. But that's I mean, kind of like article of faith. We believe all that God has revealed and we believe that he will yet
0: reveal. Right. But that's a when you think again to who this might be answering questions for. If this is talking to Catholics and Protestants, especially Catholics who don't support an open canon the same way, this is a rather strong statement. But it's interesting to have a statement from the first presidency stating, this is what we know, but we also know that we don't know everything and... and be open to to learning more things. Yeah, that's a that's a very bold statement for any faith to make at any time. Indeed, and and to to still feel authoritative. I I find it to be beautiful. Yeah, and I and I create. We, we have beautiful statements in general conference,
1: and, and I love official proclamations like this. And I wish we could have more of them like it. But then I think about the internet meltdown that happened when we announced when they announced the changing for the names. Yeah, so maybe we're not ready
0: for it right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> such a big deal and yeah no this is definitely uh, it's one of those landmark moments in church history that don't get a lot of coverage and is relatively unknown to a lot of people even though it was just like you said recently
1: reprinted in the enzyme it's still recent to us I know that I think about it that was 16 years ago
0: well yeah Ugh. I was alive and well aware of of its printing but uh, anyway. I was alive. (laughs) (laughs) So we are going to end this episode with a reading of the entire document. And next week, we will be doing another one-off. And we're going to be featuring Letter to the Queen of England by Parley P. Pratt, which is a really fun, bold document that not a lot of people know about. Emphasis on bold. Bold for sure. The Father and the Son doctrinal exposition by the First Presidency and the Twelve. The scriptures plainly and repeatedly affirm that God is the creator of the earth and the heavens and all things that in them are. In the sense so expressed, the creator is an organizer. God created the earth as an organized sphere, but he certainly did not create in the sense of bringing into primal existence the ultimate elements of the materials of which the earth consists for the elements are eternal so also life is eternal and not created but life or the vital force may be infused into organized matter though the details of the process have not been revealed unto man for illustrative instances see genesis chapter 2 verse 7 moses chapter 3 verse 7 and abraham chapter 5 verse 7 each of these scriptures states that god breathed into the body of man the breath of life See further Moses chapter 3 verse 19 for the statement that God breathed the breath of life into the bodies of the beasts and birds. God showed unto Abraham the intelligences that were organized before the world was, and by intelligences we are to understand personal spirits. Nevertheless, we are expressly told that intelligence, that is the light of truth, was not created or made, neither indeed can be. The term father, as applied to deity, occurs in sacred writ, with plainly different meanings. Each of the four significations specified in the following treatment should be carefully segregated. Number 1. Father as literal parent. Scriptures embodying the ordinary signification, literally that of parent, are too numerous and specific to require citation. The purport of these scriptures is to the effect that God the Eternal Father, whom we designate by the exalted name title Elohim, is the literal parent of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and of the spirits of the human race. Elohim is the father in every sense in which Jesus Christ is so designated and distinctively he is the father of spirits. Thus we read in the epistle to the Hebrews, Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? In view of this fact, we are taught by Jesus Christ to pray, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Jesus Christ applies to himself both titles, Son and Father. Indeed, he specifically said to the brother of Jared, Behold, I am Jesus Christ, I am the Father and the Son. Jesus Christ is the Son of Elohim, both as spiritual and bodily offspring. That is to say, Elohim is literally the Father of the Spirit of Jesus Christ and also of the body in which Jesus Christ performed his mission in the flesh, and which body died on the cross and was afterward taken up by the process of resurrection, and is now the immortalized tabernacle of the eternal Spirit of our Lord and Savior. No extended explanation of the title Son of God as applied to Jesus Christ appears necessary. Number 2. Father as Creator A second scriptural meaning of father is that of creator. Example in passages refer to any one of the Godhead as the father of the heavens and of the earth and all things that in them are. God is not the father of the earth as one of the worlds in space, nor of the heavenly bodies in whole or in part, nor of the inanimate objects and the plants and the animals upon the earth, in the literal sense in which he is the father of the spirits of mankind. Therefore, Scriptures that refer to God in any way as the Father of the heavens and the earth are to be understood as signifying that God is the Maker, the Organizer, the Creator of the heavens and the earth. With this meaning, as the context shows in every case, Jehovah, who is Jesus Christ, the Son of Elohim, is called the Father, and even the very Eternal Father of heaven and of earth. With analogous meanings, Jesus Christ is called the Everlasting Father. The descriptive titles everlasting and eternal in the foregoing texts are synonymous. That Jesus Christ, whom we also know as Jehovah, was the executive of the Father, Elohim, in the work of creation is set forth in the book, Jesus the Christ, chapter 4. Jesus Christ, being the creator, is consistently called the Father of heaven and earth, in the sense explained above, and since his creations are of eternal quality, He is very properly called the eternal Father of heaven and earth. 3. Jesus Christ the Father of those who abide in his gospel A third sense in which Jesus Christ is regarded as the Father has reference to the relationship between him and those who accept his gospel and thereby become heirs of eternal life. Following are a few of the scriptures illustrating this meaning. In the fervent prayer offered just prior to his entrance into Gethsemane, Jesus Christ supplicated his Father in behalf of those whom the Father had given unto him, specifically the apostles, and more generally, all who would accept and abide in the gospel through the ministry of the apostles. Read in our Lord's own words the solemn affirmation that those for whom he particularly prayed were his own, and that his Father had given them unto him. Quote, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And further, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which Thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and Thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that Thou hast sent me, and hast loved them, and Thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also, whom Thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which Thou hast given me. For Thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. To his faithful servants in the present dispensation, the Lord has said, Fear not, little children, for you are mine, and I have overcome the world, and you are of them that my Father hath given me. Salvation is attainable only through compliance with the laws and ordinances of the gospel, and all who are thus saved become sons and daughters unto God in a distinctive sense. In a revelation given through Joseph the prophet to Emma Smith, the Lord Jesus addressed the woman as my daughter and said, For verily I say unto you, all those who receive my gospel are sons and daughters in my kingdom. In many instances, the Lord has addressed men as his sons. That by obedience to the gospel men may become sons of God, both as sons of Jesus Christ and through him as sons of his Father, is set forth in many revelations given in the current dispensation. Thus we read in an utterance of the Lord Jesus Christ to Hiram Smith in 1829, Behold, I am Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I am the life and the light of the world. I am the same who came unto my own, and my own received me not. But verily, verily, I say unto you, that as many as receive me, to them will I give power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on my name. Amen. End quote. To Orson Pratt the Lord spoke through Joseph the Seer in 1830, My son Orson, hearken and hear and behold what I, the Lord God, shall say unto you, even Jesus Christ your Redeemer, the light and the life of the world, a light which shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth it not. Whoso loved the world, that he gave his own life, that as many as would believe might become the sons of God, wherefore, you are my son. In 1830, the Lord thus addressed Joseph Smith and Sidney Rigdon, Listen to the voice of the Lord your God, even Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, whose course is one eternal round, the same today as yesterday and forever. I am Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was crucified for the sins of the world, even as many as will believe on my name, that they may become the sons of God, even one in me, as I am in the Father and the Father is one in me, that we may be one, quote. Consider also the following given in 1831, quote, Hearken and listen to the voice of him who is from all eternity to all eternity, the great I am, even Jesus Christ, the light and the life of the world, a light which shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth it not, the same which came in the meridian of time unto my own, and my own received me not. But to as many as received me gave I power to become my sons, and even so will I give unto as many as will receive me power to become my sons. Quote. In a revelation given through Joseph Smith in March 1831, we read, quote, For verily I say unto you that I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the light and the life of the world, a light that shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth it not. I came unto my own, and my own received me not, but unto as many as received me gave I power to do many miracles, and to become the sons of God, and even unto them that believed on my name gave I power to obtain eternal life. Quote. A forceful exposition of this relationship between Jesus Christ as the Father and those who comply with the requirements of the gospel as His children was given by Abinidi centuries before our Lord's birth in the flesh. Quote, And now I say unto you, Who shall declare his generation? Behold, I say unto you, that when his soul has been made an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. And now, what say ye? And who shall be his seed? Behold, I say unto you, that whosoever has heard the words of the prophets, yea, all the holy prophets who have prophesied concerning the coming of the Lord, I say unto you, that all those who have hearkened unto their words and believed that the Lord would redeem his people, and have looked forward to that day for a remission of their sins, I say unto you, that these are his seed, or they are the heirs of the kingdom of God. For these are they whose sins he has borne, these are they for whom he has died, to redeem them from their transgressions. And now, are they not his seed? Yea, and are not the prophets, every one that has opened his mouth to prophesy, that has not fallen into transgression? I mean all the holy prophets ever since the world began? I say unto you that they are his seed. In tragic contrast with the blessed state of those who become children of God through obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ is that of the unregenerate, who are specifically called the children of the devil. Note the words of Christ while in the flesh to certain wicked Jews who boasted of their Abrahamic lineage quote, If ye were Abraham's children, ye would do the works of Abraham, ye do the deeds of your father. If God were your father, ye would love me. Ye are of your father, the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. Quote. Thus, Satan is designated as the father of the wicked, though we cannot assume any personal relationship of parent and children as existing between him and them. A combined illustration showing that the righteous are the children of God and the wicked the children of the devil appears in the parable of the tares. Quote, the good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. End quote. Men shall become children of Jesus Christ by being born anew, born of God, as the inspired word states quote, He that committeth sins of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning, for this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Quote. Those who have been born unto God through obedience to the gospel may, by valiant devotion to righteousness, obtain exaltation and even reach the status of godhood. Of such we read, Wherefore? As it is written, they are God's, even the sons of God. Yet, though they be God's, they are still subject to Jesus Christ as their Father in his exalted relationship. So we read in the paragraph following the above quotation, and they are Christ's, and Christ is God's. By the new birth, that of water and the Spirit, mankind may become children of Jesus Christ, being through the means by him provided begotten sons and daughters unto God. This solemn truth is further emphasized in the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, given through Joseph Smith in 1833. And now, verily I say unto you, I was in the beginning with the Father, and am the firstborn, and all those who are begotten through me are partakers of the glory of the same, and are the church of the firstborn. This solemn truth is further emphasized in the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, given through Joseph Smith in 1833, quote, And now, verily I say unto you, I was in the beginning with the Father, and am the firstborn, and all those who are begotten through me are partakers of the glory of the same, and are the church of the firstborn. End quote. For such figurative use of the term begotten in application to those who are born unto God, see Paul's explanation, quote, for in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel, End quote. An analogous instance of sonship attained by righteous service is found in the revelation relating to the order and functions of priesthood given in 1832, quote, For whoso is faithful unto the obtaining these two priesthoods of which I have spoken, and the magnifying their calling, are sanctified by the Spirit unto the renewing of their bodies. They become the sons of Moses and of Aaron, and the seed of Abraham, and the church and kingdom, and the elect of God. End quote. If it be proper to speak of those who accept and abide in the gospel as Christ's sons and daughters, and upon this matter the scriptures are explicit and cannot be gainsaid nor denied, it is consistently proper to speak of Jesus Christ as the Father of the righteous, they having become his children, and he having been made their father through the second birth, the baptismal regeneration. Number four, Jesus Christ, the Father, by divine investiture of authority. A fourth reason for applying the title Father to Jesus Christ is found in the fact that in all his dealings with the human family, Jesus, the Son, has represented and yet represents Elohim, his Father, in power and authority. This is true of Christ in his pre-existent, antemortal, or unembodied state, in which he was known as Jehovah. Also during his embodiment in the flesh, and during his labors as a disembodied spirit in the realm of the dead, and since that period in his resurrected state. To the Jews he said, I and my Father are one. Yet he declared, My Father is greater than I. And further, I am come in my Father's name. The same truth was declared by Christ himself to the Nephites, and has been reaffirmed by revelation in the present dispensation. Thus the Father placed his name upon the Son. And Jesus Christ spoke and ministered in and through the Father's name. And so far as power, authority, and godship are concerned, his words and acts were and are those of the Father. We read by way of analogy that God placed his name upon or in the angel who was assigned to special ministry unto the people of Israel during the Exodus. Of that angel the Lord said, Beware of him, and obey his voice. Provoke him not, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. End quote. The ancient apostle John was visited by an angel who ministered and spoke in the name of Jesus Christ, as we read quote, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which gave unto him to shew unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass, and he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. End quote. John was about to worship the angelic being who spoke in the name of the Lord Jesus, but was forbidden. Quote, And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel, which showed me these things. Then said he unto me, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book, worship God. End quote. And then the angel continued to speak as though he were the Lord himself. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. The resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, who had been exalted to the right hand of God his Father, had placed his name upon the angel sent to John, and the angel spake in the first person, saying, I come quickly. I am Alpha and Omega, though he meant that Jesus Christ would come and that Jesus Christ was Alpha and Omega. None of these considerations, however, can change in the least degree the solemn fact of the literal relationship of Father and Son between Elohim and Jesus Christ. Among the spirit children of Elohim, the firstborn was and is Jehovah or Jesus Christ to whom all others are juniors. Following are affirmative scriptures bearing upon this great truth. Paul, writing to the Colossians, says of Jesus Christ, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things. And by him all things consist, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Quote. From this scripture we learn that Jesus Christ was the firstborn of every creature, and it was evident that the seniority here expressed must be with respect to antemortal existence. For Christ was not the senior of all mortals in the flesh. He is resurrected from the dead, or as elsewhere written, the first fruits of them that slept, and the first begotten of the dead. The writer of the Epistle to the Hebrews affirms the status of Jesus Christ as the firstborn of the spirit children of his Father, and extols the preeminence of the Christ when tabernacled in flesh. Quote, And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him, End quote. That the spirits who were juniors to Christ were predestined to be born in the image of their elder brother is thus attested by Paul, quote, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow. He also did predestine to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. End quote. John the Revelator was commanded to write to the head of the Laodicean church as the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, quote, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Quote. In the course of a revelation given through Joseph Smith in May 1833, the Lord Jesus Christ said, as before cited, quote, and now verily I say unto you, I was in the beginning with the Father, and am the firstborn. End quote. A later verse makes plain the fact that human beings generally were similarly existent in spirit state prior to their embodiment in the flesh quote, Ye were also in the beginning with the Father, that which is spirit, even the spirit of truth. End quote. There is no impropriety, therefore, in speaking of Jesus Christ as the elder brother of the rest of the humankind. That he is by spiritual birth brother to the rest of us is indicated in Hebrews, quote, Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people, end quote. Let it not be forgotten, however, that he is essentially greater than any and all others by reason, one, of his seniority as the oldest or firstborn, two, of his unique status in the flesh as the offspring of a mortal mother and an immortal or resurrected and glorified father, three, of his selection and foreordination as the one and only redeemer and savior of the race, and four, of his transcendent sinlessness. Jesus Christ is not the Father of the spirits who have taken or yet shall take bodies upon this earth, for he is one of them. He is the Son, as they are the sons or daughters of Elohim. So far as the stages of eternal progression and attainment have been made known through divine revelation, we are to understand that only resurrected and glorified beings can become parents of spirit offspring. Only such exalted souls have reached maturity in the appointed course of eternal life, and the spirits born to them in the eternal worlds will pass in due sequence through the several stages or estates by which the glorified parents have attained exaltation. This statement is given by the First Presidency and the Council of the Twelve Apostles of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, given in Salt Lake City, Utah, June thirtieth. 1916. Thank you for listening to Rare Possessions from the Archive of Book of Mormon Central, produced by Book of Mormon Central. Please visit us at archive.bookofmormoncentral.org. Also, please subscribe to this podcast as well as our regular No Why podcast in iTunes or on SoundCloud. Thank you again for listening to the Rare Possessions podcast.